Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs a Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Smith, with uh, my boys here, Chris Francis and Elijah Kim. Hello, gentlemen. How do you do? What's How are up? you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm. Uh, it, it's been a, a weird week in Cavs land. I uh, very much appreciated you guys covering the podcast last week. Got to listen. It was a lot of fun. Um and I, I've gotten some unsolicited feedback that you guys made some good points. You said, who, whoever, a guy at work, whoever, uh, whoever did that when you weren't there, Nate, they had some good points. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't remember your names, but. That's they, fantastic. No, that, hey, that's, a, that's already a win. We'll take both of it. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was fun. Um, strange week in Cavs land. Uh, Taco Tuesday was. <laughs> Was okay. So for both you guys, is there any chance that? And I'll pick Chris first because I know Eli's answer. If there <laughs> is there any chance Taco Fall plays a meaningful minute of basketball again in the NBA? Wow! That, I mean, when you and and I'd yes, I loaded no. the question. I but. know, like because the whole entire rest of you know he's only like twenty two, right, or twenty three? Maybe he's older. I don't know if he's older. Well, I'll go ahead. I'll go out on a limb and say no. He will not. Unfortunately, no, no disrespect to him, but you know, uh, he is Boston a quarter guy. century old. He is twenty five. Okay. okay, no, then definitely not, Eli. Uh, if he is, there's been a lot of things that have gone wrong in front of him. So, and, and he's gonna he's gonna now. put all that behind him and become a, a productive player. No, I I'm with you guys. I think it's a free agency, or it's I think it's a training camp stunt. I mean, maybe he's a good practice body, maybe he's a good teammate, but. You know, he is not Boban Marjanovic, who is actually a real useful player in the NBA because he has some athleticism and he has some coordination and ability to move on the basketball court at an enormous size. And And Taco Fall just doesn't have that and isn't able to stay healthy and is not a normally proportioned human being. And basketball seems like... He is peaked, in my opinion. So I, I was a little bummed about the signing. I, you know, you when we were talking, Chris referenced uh, the Joe Tate article in the Cleveland Scene a few oh, years yeah. ago. And yeah, uh, how did, did you like that? Did you enjoy I, it? I have perused it, but I haven't 
gotten as in depth uh, as, I, as I'd like. Uh, no, but no so, give me the big takeaway from that article about what Joe Tate said about the Cavs. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, it was. I'll set it up a little bit. It was an article that was done post, I guess, uh, post retirement for Joe Tate. The the journalist had a hell of a time trying to get a hold of him. Finally, got a hold of him, interviewed him, uh, and. What struck the interviewer was the fact that kind of like after Joe Tate was done with fulfilling his role with the Cavs, he was absolutely done with basketball, like completely done, did not care, did not follow, did not. He completely divorced himself from the Cleveland Cavaliers after he retired. And uh, I mean, he, and he had his he had personal reasons like his wife was uh, ill and he was taking care of his wife in retirement and stuff like that. And also his own health, um, was, uh, deteriorating, but, uh, uh, the interview, the interviewer, you know, kind of prodded this, uh, I, you know, this issue of like, why doesn't Joe Tate know anything or care anything about the Cavs? You know, he's such an integral part of the, you know, uh, of the history of the team, you know? And, um, and finally, I guess Joe Tate relented in a moment of weakness or whatever and said, basically, uh, his, the reason why he divorced himself from the Cavs was basically he saw the product of the Cavs change from a basketball operation to an entertainment product was basically the, the, the key thing there that, uh, and he said it in his own, you know, he didn't say it like that. He just said it kind of in his own way about complaining about the fireworks at the game and the, the fire, you know, the noisemakers and just the, the big screen TV and just all the craziness, the production basically that surrounds the game or whatever. And he just said that it was time to go after, after that, you know, cause I guess his, it for Joe Tate, it was always about the game. It was the focus should have been a hundred percent on the game. And then he just, saw that the times were changing and he had no place in it. So he, uh, retired. So that's kind of the, what the, what the kind of the key takeaway was in, in that, uh, excellent article by, I can't, I wish I could remember the name, Sam Allard, I think, uh, of Cleveland scene. Yeah, it was Sam, Sam Allard or Sam Allard. I'm not quite sure how you oh, yeah, uh, sorry about that. pronounce uh, that. Uh, it was from 2014 and, yeah, I think the thing that you hit the nail on the head kind of comes back to Taco Fall and it's this is an entertainment move, not a basketball move. And unfortunately, I feel like the Cavs have gone down that road a little too much of late and gotten a little too cute with developing players and, and all that. I, you know, and I know, Eli, your big lament right now is the Cavs dearth of wings. Are, are you still frustrated, Eli? Oh yes, I. Uh, I think it's pretty evident <laughs> I am. Um, I think that it's just so odd to me that the the team has. They say the right things. They try to hype up this message, but all their actions just kind of are the opposite of what they intend to do, and that's frustrating. And on top of that, I think people who are fans, they get blinded by, oh, you know, like there is value in these moves there. You know, this isn't a big deal, blah, blah, blah. But if you're the Cavs, man, you got to, you got to do smart things, especially in the basketball side. And as of right now, they haven't really made a smart basketball move 
in quite a long time. Um, anything that's like surprisingly good, everything's kind of been either as expected or worse. So, I, I mean, I, I guess the the lone move was getting lucky and getting you know Evan Mobley <laughs> with the third pick, and we're seeing we're going to see how that plays out. But that you know, if you ask any NBA expert, that's probably the lone. And maybe Darius Garland, who I think has really showed a lot last year and has showed stuff throughout the summer and like the Olympic prep stuff. But yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, you hope the seeds they planted bear fruit at some point, but you, there's no guarantee that happens. So, you know, I know your plan to juice the calves and what you want to talk about on this podcast, uh, is a man by the name of Ben Simmons and, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hold Eli back before because I know he just wants to rant and none of us will get a word in edgewise until uh, until that's done. Yeah. So before Eli goes, Chris, what's would you like to see Ben Simmons in a Cavs uniform? And to you, what would it take to get him in a Cavs uniform? Or what would you be willing to give up if you were the GM of the Cavs for a day? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean. For the right price, I think it's a necessary discussion. What's that right price? I mean, I have been adamant from the start that um, they're trying to get rid of Simmons. They have no leverage, honestly. Uh, ben Simmons blew up in their face in the playoffs, and they didn't handle him right, so now he wants out. So my thinking is uh, you drive a hard bargain. So, uh, I mean, to me, the absolute max, I think, max reasonable offer, I would think, would have been something akin to either, uh, it would have been something like Sexton, Love, and two unprotected picks. You know, it'd be something like that. The Whatever picks were available during the duration of Ben Simmons' contract. So I would guess that would be two uh, because you can't trade consecutive years. So I think that would have been the max. And from what I understand, that was probably rejected and there was, you know, nothing else to discuss. So um, thankfully, I guess Kobe uh, didn't fall prey to Daryl Morey's uh, uh, crazy demands. So I guess we have that to think. (laughs) Sometimes it's the moves you don't make. So. But yeah, in a nutshell, it would be, yeah, I would consider it. But I mean, what's the, I don't know what the right price is, but I mean, I wouldn't pay that much, right? I don't know. So uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to release the hounds here and uh, <laughs> Eli, go. <laughs> Sick them. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, for me, trading for Ben Simmons is like a no brainer. If, the opportunities there and to compound that if it's an opportunity to, to get off the love contract it just is even sweeter similar to chris though i think two unprotected first round picks is kind of where i'm at i think anything more is really tough if you do add a third pick for me i think had some um usually the other you go out with calves so um but can you I repeat just think, that, Eli? You cut out for a minute. Sorry. Yeah. So if they're 
if there's if it's more than two first round picks, I think the further you go out, you'd have to protect those picks even more because you don't under you don't know what your team's going to look like if Ben Simmons isn't on it. If you do trade for Simmons, um, you know Sexton and Love, I think have to be in every iter- any iteration of the deal, and you know I think I'd be even willing to go as far as including a Coro in the deal. Um, but ideally, if you do include a Cora, you would get Tyrese Maxey back, uh, which is, you know, there was a rumor that he would be part of the deal and then it's been kind of walked back. But I just think it's a no brainer because even though Ben Simmons is not a good shooter by any stretch of the imagination, he would be immediately the best uh, playmaker, the best defender, can legitimately guard one through five, although I think he's a little overrated on guarding bigger guys. But, um, you know, I think you can still win in the NBA if you have three relatively good shooters and two non-shooters who are plus defenders. And I think that is a recipe the Cavs could create by making a trade for Ben Simmons. Um, You could play, you know, Markinen as a plus shooter. You could play Mobley, who hypothetically will eventually be a plus shooter as the biggest player on the court next to Simmons. So I just think he raises the floor of the team so much. I get the argument that at trading for Simmons is not going to make you an instant contender, but I would much rather be closer to playoff and actual playing contention and go from that base rather than uh, looking at it from a, oh, I don't think Simmons can make us a championship contender within four years, so why even bother? That's That's some of the logic that just doesn't make any sense to me. So. I'll keep it relatively tame to keep the conversation going, but no, I, I mean, no brain- fire away. It'd be, no it'd be a no, it'd be a no brainer for me to tr- trade for Simmons if it's available. So, you know, one of my absolute favorite NBA minds is Ben Worth, uh, who you guys don't get to read very often on Cavs, the blog anymore. I think he actually popped up in the comment section the other day, but he absolutely is, scouted things and made me see things in NBA players that I never thought I'd see. One of the takes that he thought of was the Cavs had to basically sign a guy like uh, Laurie Markkinen if they had the opportunity to do it because because no, they can't seem to get any free agents to even consider signing there. They have to be able to get guys that they can trade if if big contracts become available and Laurie Markin is one of those guys. And, you know, that's just kind of an example, not to put Ben above anybody else. Um, but one of the things that he said, he, he's said it over and over, Ben Simmons dominates the game in a way without scoring. And he closed out the Wizards. He uh, had foul shooting issues, but you know who else had foul shooting issues was uh, Joel Embiid. Um, and he creates immensely from a three-point standpoint and from uh, half court and full court. And he's a serious, serious defender at, like you said, almost four positions. Um, that, to me, is a guy that you can take a shot on. Now, I'm not like you. I don't think you can give up picks without putting protections on him. I would at least top three protect 
picks because you don't know when you're just in, your entire team's going to get bit by the injury bug or thing, you know, terrible things that can happen. So I'm a little wary of giving completely unprotected picks away. But other than that, you know, if you want to take a flyer on them, I, I, It's better than watching a team that feels like it's set up to lose. Now, along with that, there's some things to consider. One thing, you know, Sexton may not be the guy that you trade. Maybe you trade Garland. And I'm not a huge Sexton fan. I think Garland is going to be a vastly superior player. But if there's a player that would be a good player for Colin Sexton to play with it is a larger distributing point guard. And that would help him immensely and keep him from being the, you know, tied for the smallest guy on the court. Also a guy that can set him up to shoot and take the playmaking duties. Um, I'm not a huge fan of trading Okoro since I think he's going to be really, really good. But, you know, there's, there's guys to trade. Um, Garland, but anything you do, you got to trade love and you've got to, uh, if he doesn't go to the Sixers, you got to find a third team to ship him to. And that's kind of the hard part about that for the salary matching portion. And that's one of the problems with having traded Larry Nance is that makes that trade that much harder. Mm-hmm. So. Those are, I mean, those are excellent points. And also kind of, as I listen to you, you may, as I listen to you, it kind of makes me think that there had to have been a legitimate offer to get to trade for Simmons prior to the Nance trade, wouldn't you think? Well, I think we should answer that after our first commercial break. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so stick with us. We'll be right back. So, Chris, what was your question? Welcome back oh my to the podcast, first of all. do i actually remember it well okay so the question is do you think there do you think the Cavs made a legitimate run pre-nance trade uh pre and pre-draft do you think they yeah i think they probably made a legitimate run what do you uh, think that offer was yeah what do you think that offer was is what i wonder i mean it was probably nance and maybe sexton and the problem is, is the Cavs have not a lot of other contracts and Nance and Sexton gets you close, but I'm not sure I it's think, enough. But I think they would have had Prince at this time too, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yeah, that, that means you're including Prince in that discussion too. And mm-hmm. I, well, I don't and, know the time frame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I was wondering is because what it seems to me, like one of the things that I've, you know, one of the theories I have about this off season about the Cavs is, they went out and got a guy in Rubio who kind of is like a miniaturized version of Ben Simmons. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, they, and they also drafted Mobley, you know, to replace, you know, one or two of, you know, Nance or, uh, Nance or Love at the four. So I was just thinking, you know, like Ben Simmons kind of would have been that guy that would have, replace three of these guys that they acquired, you know, yeah. in this off season. So that's where I was going with that. Now, and that's another guy, I guess the Cavs could trade is they could trade Rubio uh, right. and another player for Simmons. But I don't think they can do that till like October 2nd because he was trading in oh. the off season. Oh, okay. Um, but that, that would be another option. 
Uh, And you wouldn't have to necessarily move Love in that case. And that actually is a deal that would make sense for the Sixers because one of the problems with them trading Ben Simmons is who do you play a point guard once you've traded him? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're Philly. So it's interesting. I I do think there was a trade out there probably. The Cavs probably rattled the trees. But, you know, by all accounts, the Cavs do that a lot and always try to get the better end of the deal and kind of usually end up getting no end of the deal. So, (laughs) I I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm skeptical. The the place I think that – you know, and maybe I said this a couple of weeks ago, but the absolute perfect place for him to end up, for Ben Simmons to end up, would be the Spurs, where Chip England would could teach him how to shoot and turn him into a superstar. I think that team is super set up for a guy like Ben Simmons. Um, and I don't know if there's a lot of teams out there that make sense. Like, I don't see the Warriors making sense. Do you, Eli? Yeah, the Warriors is tough. I think they have the assets too, but I don't think they like the fit on their team with uh, Draymond Green. Yeah. Duplicative. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like you said earlier, you can have two, you know, non-shooters if you have a really good defense, but I don't know if you can have two guys that have such duplicate skill sets in Dre and Ben Simmons. That, that, That makes it a little bit tough. Yeah. I, I agree. And I guess to go back to your Garland trade point, I, I agree. You know, I think Garland is a more attractive trade piece. But the one thing we can't forget here is Garland's agent is also Rich Paul. So the whole Rich Paul, Philly dynamic is probably a reason why that, that rumor hasn't like blown up on the potential Cavs trade. I did forget about that. That's a good point. Um, what, what, what are some other teams you could see Ben Simmons fitting in with, or is it just Cavs or Bust for you, Eli? No, I mean, I think the Kings make a lot of sense, to be honest, if they're willing to include Halliburton. Um, I think the Kings could, you know, throw in Buddy Heald and Halliburton and the numbers, I think, I believe the numbers work in that regard. I think it's been strongly reported that the Kings are not willing to include De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton in any trade discussion, which I think makes sense, but also doesn't make it realistic for them. Uh, my kind of sleeper pick was the Hawks, um, but I think we actually disagree on that. But I thought the Hawks makes sense because his skill set would really fit well with Trey uh, Young. Um, you could sell high on a guy like Cam Reddish, and I know that, we have a little bit. I think our biggest disagreement is how how strongly we view Danilo Gallinari. I think he's a ticking time bomb in terms of injury due to his history, but I definitely think he's super clutch. I mean, can't deny after his performance last playoff, um, his veteran leadership, the way he spreads the floor, his toughness like those are all things you need on a good veteran playoff team. So. The Hawks were kind of one team that I thought was kind of overlooked as a ben, potential Ben Simmons uh, destination. It's interesting. I, I don't, I don't see it, but I think you make a compelling argument, and I don't think any of the arguments that you've made so far, like Capella and Ben Simmons, isn't the worst pairing because Capella is such a good finisher and rebounder, and you can really get out on the break with that team. 
Um, and Trey Young, you know, stretches the floor well enough that you can maybe balance that roster out. And they have really good shooters at the other positions in uh, Herter and, and Collins. The other teams that are on the list, uh, Minnesota makes a ton of sense. Um, the problem is, is who does Minnesota give up? Um, it's probably D'Angelo Russell and somebody else. I don't think they have any desire to move on from Anthony Davis. Um, right, right. Anthony Edwards. You mean? Anthony Edwards. Yeah, I knew it. No. I knew it. Was, <laughs> no, and I'm I don't kidding. know if you heard, but apparently he has grown two inches since he was drafted, and he's six six now. Which are you serious? Is, are you talking about Ann Edwards? And, yeah, yeah. And, that is yeah, that was wow. on uh, Twitter today. Yeah. Holy crap! That that's terrifying. If you're a defender, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just ask the uh, the. The Toronto defender from last year. Yeah, and speaking of Toronto, yeah. they're another team on the list, but I don't think he makes sense for Toronto. Yeah, I saw that too. I don't think he makes sense because they just drafted Scotty Barnes. and Well, a lot of people think he's the guy that would go, or one of the guys. I mean, that could Yeah, he'd have sense, to, I would think, yeah. But it'd be like, Van. I feel like Van Fleet has to be in the deal. And, well, I don't uh, know why you would trade Van Vliet or why you would make that trade. If you're like, giving up Van Vliet. Right, because he's a perfect guy to put with Simmons. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, Toronto. But if Toronto really feels like they can turn it around quickly, maybe that's a move. But I, I really feel like Toronto is probably going to develop some players and, you know, try and spend the next year, year and a half trying to develop some guys to get back to where they were rather than just try and fix it all at once. That seems more Masai Uriji's style. And yeah, then, sorry, go ahead. They got, a long, they got a long timeline too. I mean, right, with Lowry gone now, they don't have to worry about competing ASAP. They right. can build like a sustainable winner with all their core pieces locked up. Right. And uh, I mean, the guy that maybe does make some sense to move if you're looking to move a guy is Pascal Siakam, who would probably fit in pretty well in uh, in Philly. But, you know, how many three, four guys do they have and how many do they need? You know, (laughs) and it really doesn't solve their point guard issue once Simmons is gone. Exactly. Yep. And then the last guy on the list or the last team was the Portland Trailblazers. And I think most of those deals revolve around some kind of CJ McCollum and, you know, parts trade for Ben Simmons. What do you guys, do you see anything there, Eli, that's realistic? I, you know, surprisingly the Trailblazers are like, it's a like two to one to most books. Like, you, you double your money if you think they get Ben Simmons, which I think is a pretty good indicator that that's the most likely team to make a deal. Um, but candidly, for the reason the Trailblazers are making the deal, I think the Cavs should be looking at it because they have two lesser versions in the backcourt and they're trying to improve the team. I think the Cavs should be all over that deal be, with the Blazers as evidence of that, uh, further evidence of why they should even do it. So. I think everyone thinks CJ McCollum is available f- for a Simmons deal. I'm not quite sure, though. I think um, there's a lot of value in McCollum. And I think Philly Philly's just in a pretty interesting spot because I think McCollum can be a point guard full-time if he's asked to do so. 
but he is also not, you know, the youngest player you'd be getting back and not quite elite enough to be a perennial all-star. So I think it's the best idea of everything so far, but I just still don't think it like is a grand slam by any means. I, I think the other thing that's going on with the Trailblazers is they very much want to see the team that they're going to be able to put on the floor from a defensive standpoint uh, with their new head coach, Chauncey Billups. And that is a lot of – I don't think you'll see them make any kind of moves before the regular season. If they do make a move, I think it'll be, you know, December or, you know, January where they say, hey, this isn't working. we got to do something different. And maybe that's when you see a trade. Do you? So that's a good follow-up question. Chris, do you see Ben Simmons – on how long do you see Ben Simmons on the Sixers? Do you do you think the regular season starts with him still on the Sixers roster? I mean, the examples that I heard given uh, that are analogs to the situation are guys like Harden, and uh, there was another example I can't remember. In I, I said Vince Carter in Toronto. Oh, there you go. Yeah, like from what what I guess judging from the past, it would be a disaster for the the Sixers to go into the regular season with Simmons on their roster. So. With, but, but with that being said, like, I mean, it, we've all heard how insane the demands are from Maury uh, about a return. And uh, so it's going to be really interesting. I think the reason why Cavs Chatter even picked up about this whole thing is because now I think they've realized since they're not going to get a player back, a better player back for Simmons, that now they want picks so they could sit tight. And so I think that's what guy Cavs chatter going again is there that would be a a sought after pick uh by teams you know to try and trade around so um is Ben Simmons going to be I don't I I think he's still going to be on the roster but I think that's because they're not going to move him and it's an sign of incompetence and sign of a, a really disastrous season uh, uh season in store for the Sixers Wow, a bold prediction, Eli. What about you? Do you? I, I guess I'll caveat that with: Do you think that he shows up to training camp? Um, and do you think um, he? You know, how do you see it playing out? I guess. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he shows up to training camp, and I think uh, which would be huge because we hear about players saying they're not going to, and then at the last second they somehow realize like, oh, like I, I'm not going to not get my money. Like I'll half, I'll get, go there and, you know, give half my effort. I normally would. So no, that's, a, that's a great point, Eli. I'll just mention real quick that I guess there was a new report that just came out that said Simmons loses, like he's at stake to lose potentially, I want to say millions right off the bat for not, uh, for not showing up. Like, uh, I forget when, what the deadline was, but there was some, there, there was a substantial money on the line for not showing up. Yeah. yeah. And, and, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eli. No, I mean, it's a lot of money, but the dude is making like 40 million a year. He's not going to miss <laughs> more than like a few million, a few million dollars to get to the right place. I think might not hurt him as much as it would hurt. Like, uh, you know, a player that's a restricted free agent. That's upset, you know? Sure. Sure. But one of the things I'm curious about is, I mean, to me, it, it 
actually the way you've seen it play out, you saw it with Jimmy Butler in Minnesota. You saw it with Kevin Love in Minnesota. It actually is in the team's favor if you don't show up. If you show up and are just a general ass, then it actually puts a lot more pressure on the team and it's a lot bigger distraction than, you know, just staying out of sight, out of mind at home. You know, we all saw the James Harden at the the strip club and all the shenanigans before he got traded out of Houston. Oh, yeah. Not playing defense at all, man. Yeah. So I, I think it's... I don't think it gets past training camp. Um, I think it's going to be a giant dis- distraction. Or if, if it does, I mean, Rich Paul, I would be very surprised if he told his client not to show up. But I think rather than that, they negotiate a you don't have to show up agreement. And we will try to find a trade situation before it ever gets to that. It, In my opinion, just because... You know, the Sixers don't want to sour the asset and give other teams leverage. And Chris Paul, not Chris Paul, Rich Paul, Rich Paul, dang it. Um, Rich, (laughs) (laughs) thank you. And Rich Paul doesn't want to, you know, damage Ben's reputation or, you know, make a a clown show out of it, although he will apply leverage wherever he can. So it it should be an interesting and fun situation. That was a bold call, yeah. I'm, I'm, you got me excited now. You know, po- possible Ben trades, uh, uh, Ben Simmons trade actually going down. Well, I mean, I, those are always kind of fun. You had Harden at the beginning of last year. You had uh, Jimmy Butler with the the true. Wolves. Remember mm-hmm. in the whole Rachel Nichols interview, and that that was a whole gong <laughs> show. So, <laughs> oh yes, yes, that's what's up. I love it. Well, and on that note, we'll be right back after a short break. So, Eli, what is the Buck score? Uh, it is forty-five thirty-one. They just they just get the extra point. Uh, the Bucks are the Buckeyes are winning. Yep, they were uh, losing when we hopped on, and they're up two touchdowns now. So. Uh, I mean, not that I root against them, but you know, sometimes I uh, I do have a little Schnadenfreude. <laughs> but yeah interesting okay well because i know they were losing when we started and i was like wow opening week upset would would not make the buckeye faithful happy but getting back to the nba it's been a pretty crazy off season in terms of a lot of guys just not being able to sign deals i know you and i eli have gone back and forth and you've tweeted at a couple people about you know why can't a guy like james ennis find a deal um one of the things I read today and I think is a big reason that there's so many unsigned guys in the NBA right now is it's not just in the U.S. It's also overseas. American players, people don't want Americans coming over. And I guess I read that China is closed uh, to Americans uh, right now. And Europe uh, has travel restrictions as well. So I think that's a really tough sell uh, to go overseas. And, you know, I think a lot of teams are keeping their options open and keeping their last couple draft spots free. I think you're going to see a ton of guys in the G League this year that you may not have seen in the past. Uh, because those other avenues aren't open, I, I definitely think you'll see a lot more ex NBAers in the league, in the G League, than you did in the past this year. Any comments wow. there? 
No, that's crazy. That's a, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like I didn't really even think of it. I mean, cause there's a lot, I mean, there's useful guys that are not signed. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein, like the, the nets were sniffing around. So were the Clippers, I think, uh, you know, um, my guy, uh, Justin Jackson hasn't signed. He played for the world champion bucks, you know? So there's a lot of names on this, uh, free agent list just, you know, that were in the NBA and now, uh, sounds like waiting for a call and kind of, I would have assumed that you would expect at least, you know, them signing some vet minimum deals or something. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, Eli, anything to, you know, have you heard any rumblings or any, you know, theories you got on why it's such a, or is it just you're out of room with everybody we've drafted and, you know, everybody on rosters? Yeah, I don't, I think there, I think almost every team has 14 players already on the roster. Um, I think one of the few teams was the Trailblazers. Um, so I think team rosters are getting filled. I just think that teams were trying to be more cautious with their 15 guaranteed spots. And I think this year, is it this year where the NBA, I think you don't have to have two inactives anymore. I think all 15 players can dress if they're all healthy, obviously. Well, I think that's a good thing, especially because you've seen guys just, you know, go down in games and then teams be shorthanded trying to, you know, fill injuries or you've seen, um, you know, guys get pulled out for COVID protocol at the last second, that kind of thing. Yeah, but um, that's an interesting trend. I do, I do kind of agree with you that I think uh, there are going to be more players in the G League. I feel like the G League had a really good year last year. Part, I think a big part of it was how Jalen Green played in the G League. Kuminga played in the G League. I think three first-round picks ended up playing in the G League last year. So I think if you're an NBA vet that could either live in America or go to uh, – like Europe, why wouldn't you play against potentially really good players um, and prove yourself against, you know, that level of talent if you could and still make it, you know, there are more eyes. Maybe there's more dollars in the G League going on now. Yeah. So. And, and the other option along with that is if you don't have an opportunity to play and you actually have some money in the bank where you can, you know, afford to play on a G League salary for a year. Um, because if you're not in one of the two le- two ways, it's a it's a low five figure salary, so it's it's definitely not a family man's uh, occupation. But if you have some money in the bank and and you can afford to do that and hope to latch on with an NBA team, it's it's not the worst route to go, especially when a lot of those overseas leagues the doors are closed right now. You know, one of the pieces of news that I thought was particularly hilarious was the Mavs workout today, or I guess it was today or yesterday, but uh, Lance Stevenson, Isaiah Thomas, and Monte Ellis. I'm I'm just kind of cracking up at why you would bring in three guys who are literal has-beens. I don't think either of them – Monte Ellis, I don't think has been in the league in like three years. Lance Stevenson, I think it's been at least two. And Isaiah Thomas has signed some 10-day – signed a 10-day last year, but that was about it. Oh, man. There was a joke that – there was a joke in NBA chat about that that that's what you have that's what happens when you sign a sneaker exec as a gm 
referring to Harlebob. No, I, I think that's uh <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a good uh good analysis. I mean <laughs> it's well, are you talking about Volgaris? Yeah, 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 exactly. No, I don't think he he's the GM, is he? I think he's calling the shots now. I, no, but I don't think it? he's the GM. The GM oh, um, is, he not the is GM? Nico Harrison, and I oh, think he's oh. the one who's oh, is he the, the shoe exec. exec. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, yeah. so sorry. I, he, I thought he's the I, one I that came confused. from Nike. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Gotcha, and gotcha. How do you pronounce his first name? Harabob? Uh, Vulgaris, the gambling expert, <laughs> the crypto king. Uh, he, I, I don't, I can't pronounce his first name, but he is still an advisor. But I don't, I think he's just that he has a consultant. An, I don't think he has an active role anymore. Like it's not. Oh, oh, maybe did they kind of drum him out, and he's basically just Cuban's buddy now. Cuban's crypto yeah, guy. He hasn't officially been fired, but the rumor is that he doesn't make the. Uh, decision he doesn't make any decisions anymore he he no longer has input on basketball decisions correct Interesting. speaking of the the whole funny thing on the isaiah thomas stuff that i wanted to get in which is you know a pot definitely a, a low blow um so i'm stupid pretty low for that but um i just thought it was funny that everyone made a really big deal about him scoring what 81 points right at the pro am in a pro am game, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I think the funniest part of all that is that Peyton Pritchard scored like ninety two in a pro am, like right after that. And Peyton Pritchard <laughs> is like a bench warmer for the Celtics, <laughs> so it's like, oh, like it's not that hard to do that at all. Well, yeah, I mean, you're you, these are literally games where you know Michael Jordan used to play with Kenny Rogers. You know, if Michael Jordan wanted to score one hundred and twenty points in a game with Kenny Rogers, he could. <laughs> you remember you've seen clips of those 80s games with like kenny rogers and i have Chuck never Barkley. heard of this Nate. oh Nate, yeah what, what is you ta- what are you talking oh, about you gotta go what to youtube and you gotta oh, google goodness. kenny rogers and michael jordan there's actually video of kenny rogers pump faking michael jordan and then oh. getting a shot off and and scoring a deuce on on uh, are you kidding me he on scored too he did oh, yeah back in the it's 80s blowing my mind right now 80s early <laughs> 90s chuck barkley in that game uh but yeah a bunch of celebrities yeah these pro games I, I don't know if you saw the uh highlights the other day of uh adam sandler was playing with a bunch of nba guys i'm trying to remember who he was playing with but oh yeah you're right, you're I, right. I but yeah it's point. it's like you know it, it, you could score 90 with adam sandler guarding you i mean <laughs> i don't think that's that hard Wow, did you know throwing putting? Well, I, I mean, it's hard for Gilmore me. under the bus. <laughs> it's hard for me, but you know, I'm I'm not even at the athletic level of a of a '50s Adam Sandler. I'm I, I've got uh, you know two years of COVID bod piling up on me. I haven't been to the gym <laughs> in, in some time, so I, I'm not. I'm those who live in in glass fat suits should not throw stones, but. <laughs> I uh, I don't know. Oh my goodness! But yeah, so I think loud. I think you're right. I think those those pro am games are so ridiculous. But that's all a part of the Isaiah Thomas experience, and just one of my least favorite players in NBA history. And just I've never understood. He is a guy that very much likes to self promote, 
And 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 maybe the Cavs should sign him to their preseason roster to complement Taco Fall. You know, there we go, there we go. <laughs> We're Boston West now instead of Chicago <laughs> East. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, and. On that note, uh, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. So, uh, yeah, a little more news around the NBA. Uh, you know, Paul Millsap signed with the Nets, you said. And then, you know, speaking of the Nets, Lamarcus Aldridge has been cleared to return to the NBA by his doctors after a hasty retirement last year after some heart murmurs. I believe during his physical and or heart palpitations, not quite sure, but uh, yeah, it looks like the the only teams that are kind of signing people right now are the Knicks and the Lakers, and they're still kind of morphing their rosters around. One thing I think you're going to see, and the reason the Cavs probably haven't signed guys is something Eli touched on earlier is there's a lot of teams with full rosters and more guaranteed contracts than roster spots. And I think the Cavs are hoping to, you know, try and pry somebody away uh, with one of those. Uh, so Eli, if you had your druthers, uh, is there a guy around the NBA that you think the Cavs could probably get for cheap on a trade or is there a free agent that you'd like to add to this team? Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll answer both. If I think the Cavs should try to hold out for a Simmons trade. I just think it makes too much sense. I hate to beat a dead horse or a bad jump shot, but you 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 have you have never shied away from reiterating your opinion, and I don't want you to start <laughs> now. Yeah, so I definitely uh, you know I think they hold out for Ben Simmons trade, but ultimately if they can't or they're too far apart and don't see a pathway, I think that James Ennis just makes too much sense for this team. He makes us. And I, I think a big indicator of that is he makes a ton of sense for a lot of teams. He's a veteran. He's been around the league for a while. Shoots threes at a pretty good rate. Had a really good year last year, over 40% from deep. Um, you know, reputationally, is a pretty solid defender. He's one of the few guys that wouldn't mind coming off the bench, I think, which is somewhat important for team chemistry, especially when you empower all these core guys to play a lot of minutes in Cleveland. So I just think it makes too much sense um, to go for a guy like James Ennis. Is there, if there's another guy who's like a tier below that, you know, someone that I, I wouldn't be excited, but I can understand the logic of a guy like Denzel Valentine. He's smaller. His shooting is, he's only been in the league for what, five years. He's not as good of a shooter, a bit more inconsistent, but you know, I think, I think plan A is you go for the Simmons trade, you keep the roster spot open so you can have the flexibility to trade. And then, you know, the Cavs do have some unguaranteed contracts in Lamar Stevens and uh, Damian Dotson, Dean Wade. So I think plan A is Simmons and plan B is, you know, you can sign Ennis or uh, Valentine. And I know you're big, like one of the players you touched on earlier uh, in the summer was a guy like Desmond Bain from Memphis as a somebody who might be available if they get into a roster crunch. Um, those kind of guys, especially if they have shooting upside, uh, would, would be great. I, you know, if the Cavs are going full on carnival show for the preseason roster, bring on Jimmer for debt, if you ask me. So <laughs> I, I, that's kind of what I want to see, you know. 
just throw if you're throwing crap at the wall you might as well throw all the crap so <laughs> what about you chris any anybody that's still floating around out there or any you know response to eli there or somebody you'd like on another team that that would be a good fit for the Cavs? yeah i mean you know if the if if there was a fire sale on Cam Reddish, I'd be interested in that, but nothing more than a fire sale. Uh, guy like, I mean, out of the free agent bin, it would have been, like I said, Justin Jackson, small forward from UNC. I think he won a championship at UNC, small, for, you know, fits the three and D, you know, kind of a uh, play type. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, I, I'm not sure if, uh, the question I had actually uh, is when do rosters have to be uh, finalized? Is that prior to is that prior to the regular season or is that prior to the preseason games? Like, what is it? What date are well? Can so we expect there, to see names to come to come available? So there are training camp rosters that are much long larger. I think they're in the twenties. And then as before the regular season starts, it's like, you know, four or five days before they have to cut down to an NBA roster of 15 plus okay. two two-way contracts. And I Do don't... They get 15 roster spots plus two two-ways, you said? That's correct. And I'm okay. not 100% sure whether... Because last year they exempted... There used to be a 60-game limit for two-way contracts, and they exempted that last year. I don't know if that will return again this year. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, have you heard anything on that, Eli? I'm not sure. I think the two-way thing might be a permanent thing, or they could be flexible for the whole year. Oh, wow. Interesting. Nice. Okay. I would not be thrilled about that if I was on a guy on the bottom of an NBA roster, but... You know, it feels like basically you've just got a new NBA minimum contract now. <laughs> That's a lot lower than the other ones, but I could be wrong. Well, I would assume playtime might be a, a kind of an issue there, you know, because they're not seeing the court probably, rarely. Okay, so follow-up question. You know, I can't believe it, but we're only three weeks away from training camp. Who are you most excited to see? Give me, give me a one A and a one B for uh, NBA training camp, and and what do you hope they've added to their game when they join the Cavs? Uh, you can go first, Chris. Well, with Garland, I want to see the the next step scoring wise. I want to see him launching like a lot more threes. You know, there's. There was some analytical models out there saying, you know, he shoots as well as any of the elite NBA players from the pull-up three, but he takes about half the rate of the elite players. So I want to see that three ball, the scoring threat, you know, kind of thrive with Darius Garland. Second thing I'd like to see is uh, I'm, it would be easy to say Mobley, so I'll kind of zag and say uh, Laurie Markkinen. You know, is he going to actually get buckets? You know, I keep on hearing about, oh, he's such a great scorer. He's going to he's going to do this. He's going to do that. 
you know, he had a very uh, unceremonious four years in Chicago. So I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't call him unceremonious. He he built a lot of buzz in his first year and Did a half, he? Okay. and then he I really mean, fell off. I, I'm my, I'll have to admit bias because I talked to a good many Chicago fans who absolutely despise him. So I see that is kind of a caveat on my end. Is uh, I've heard nothing but years of uh, anti. Uh, anti uh Laurie slander so i want to see what he does so, you know i want to see how he's used how he meshes in theory he's a perfect fit for both either uh you know jared allen or evan mobley if they if they're the tandem at the five position so uh definitely curious to see what the new uh you know what the new uh what the new guy got you know so that those would be my two picks i mean yeah just going back to you know Lori markinen in 2018 2019 big buzz in 50 games he averaged 18 and 9 at 21 years old with um let me let me pull up his true shooting here his true shooting percentage was uh, fifty-five, which is which is not great, but um, <laughs> I mean it's a, a high volume ish and young, yeah, but I mean so, he was okay. a, he also attempted you know six and a half threes a game and made thirty six percent of them. So yeah, he was a bit of a chucker, but you know a volume scorer. So you know I can see where the the Cavs theory on him is coming from. So, yeah, and sure. I'm hoping that we can get somebody from Chicago land to uh, come on the Cavs, uh, come on the podcast and give us a little scouting report and the, the pluses and the minuses of the Lori Markin and experience. But until then, Eli, why don't you tell us who you're excited to see in Cavs training camp? One A and one B. Yeah, for me, uh, my one A is actually, Isaac Okoro. Um, I'm really excited to see if his shooting has really improved. I think that would just unlock so much more of his game. I'll be honest, I was pretty underwhelmed by Okoro in the summer league. I felt like everyone talked about how how much he looked better, but to me, I just it was disappointing in the fact that guys like Obi Toppin were like averaging 25 points per game in the summer league and uh, you know scoring at will, but then. Okoro was like averaging 15 a game, I think. So I just wanted to see more offense from Okoro, especially against lesser talent. So that's my choice for me. You know, Ben Simmons had a really, not Ben Simmons, Ben Worth had a really good comment on Okoro uh, about how he's a really good finisher with his left hand but he's kind of a terrible finisher and doesn't have a lot of touch with the right hand so he pretty much if he's going with the right hand he dunks and if he's going to lay it up he goes left which is which is a little odd and he needs to learn how to soft finish with the right hand so i i thought that was a a pretty fascinating take i honestly don't have a problem with the way okoro played in summer league i think they were trying to put him on the ball and make him a creator a little more than he would be in the regular season but also i don't think the Cavs' training staff and the offense they were running made a lot of sense in the uh you know we all saw that first game where they didn't even they were trying desperately to post up mobley and it didn't make any sense so, so i i don't know was there you had a one, your one A. Who was your one A? 
Eli? So Coro's my 1A and yeah. my 1B. I mean, I'll kind of not. The easy one is Mobley, so I'm also going to kind of refrain from that. Well, I guess I'll take the dunk then. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm actually really curious about Jared Allen. Um, I think mm-hmm. he's going to be asked to be a lot more versatile than he was last year. Uh, he, he's been shooting a lot of threes in his uh, like social media posts. I actually would be okay. I mean, he did shoot some threes with the Cavs last season too, so I would not be. He was actually a good shooter too. It's just he wasn't a volume shooter. Yeah, and I mean, his free throw percentage is better than a you know a lumbering seven footer. Although I guess he's not lumbering, but you know, like a rim running big. Those are usually the guys who traditionally are bad free throw shooters. And Jared Allen is kind of like a high sixties you know free throw shooter, so he has a good stroke. It looks pretty. This doesn't always go in, but uh, I'm really curious to see if his game's expanded a lot. I, I think I hope he can defend a little bit more on the perimeter because he probably will have to to fit better on this team. So he's he's someone that I think a lot of people see the hundred million dollar contract and think like, oh, you know, we're just gonna he's not really going to improve that much more. But I'm hoping this isn't like an Andrew Wiggins situation where the owner has to tell him like, Hey, I want you to try hard, even though I'm going to pay you all this money. So let's, I kind of want to see just a little bit more of the development curve with uh, Allen as we go to training camp. Yeah. And I love the Jared Allen and, you know, Darius Garland uh, connection that we saw last year, a lot of times. So I'm excited to see that, Um, you know, in answer to your question, uh, Allen was six of nineteen from three last year, and for thirty-two percent. Uh, so he he did flash some touch out there, but his free throw shooting was sixty-nine percent, uh, and he's kind of a career seventy percent guy. So he has had some some better years. You know, he came into the league shooting seventy-eight percent his first year, so he does have some room to improve. But yeah, I think I think he can. He's still got a lot of growing to do, and he's a guy uh, just like Mobley that if he gets in the weight room and puts on some muscle, he could be a really good player. That's Jared Allen's biggest problem right now is he doesn't have the muscle to bang uh, with a lot of these guys, and the Cavs don't have a Larry Nance anymore to bang, and they're going to need their bigs to box out and you know, rebound and dominate on the glass uh, because we all know that the Cavs Lilliputian backcourt has a hard time rebounding. So, mm-hmm. and, and even Okoro at the three, you know, statistically not a very good rebounder. So those big guys really got to get on the boards. And that's probably what I'm most concerned about early in the season. I'll say along with that, um, the other thing, Obviously, Evan Mobley, super excited to see what he brings in a real NBA offense and, you know, how the Cavs leverage him. And I, I think my 1B is how this coaching staff looks. I'm a little concerned after losing Lindsey Godley last year and kind of how disjointed the Cavs looked in Summer League, where a lot of these other teams had pretty NBA ready sets going and kind of running a running a less uh chaotic offense and i'm not a huge sydney low fan i don't know a ton about him but he's never been a guy that was like oh sydney low that guy blows you away i'm i'm concerned about the lack of you know and 
high level NBA success on the Cavs training staff or coaching staff and, you know, all the problems we saw last year from JB Bickerstaff with, you know, basic execution things. I'm really hoping we don't see that this year and there's an improvement, but I, I, I'm concerned. So it's probably my biggest concern. I'm only a nerd like me would say they're excited to see what the coaching looks like. So <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with that. I agree hundred percent. I mean, it was bad last year. I think it's been bad. So uh, that'll be definitely something to look look forward to. Absolutely. And uh, with that, uh, we will be back uh, with, you know, our parting shots and, you know, things to recommend to y'all uh, in just a minute. Welcome back to Cavs of Podcast. So you were telling me you had a, a, a Pestac X-esque <laughs> experience, Chris. Uh, in in the last week, uh, and, and you, it's a little lawnmower radio for all you all you dad fans out there. So. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. This yes. is this is dad talk. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Well, I guess uncle talk. No, the there you uncle, go. So there you yeah. go. So crazy uncle stories. So uh, in honor of Tom, uh, it was I was told a story by my sister about how my nephew had gotten in trouble. Because he was catfishing women on the internet. What? As, yes, yes. He was catfishing. He's 13 years old, plays video games all the time. And he was catfishing at least two to three 18-year-old women online on his Discord server or something like that. Seriously? Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And and not this just that. Wild. Yeah. And not just that. Uh apparently like he got more punishment from my sister because my because he when he got his uh electronics taken away, he apparently snuck away and signed up a fake account or did a dummy account back on the discord and she caught him doing that so uh you know it was just a hilarious story about i guess uh a he's a ladies man i guess uh on the discord servers and b uh i didn't realize this is what uh raising a teenager was going to involve in the 21st century is, oh uh, man cat, it is a, it and, is a minefield <laughs> my i have friends whose son racked up um Almost two thousand dollars in credit card bills. Oh my god! From um, X-rated websites, <laughs> and they were unamused. Um, <laughs> you know, and this was several years ago. And I think he was around the same age. I think he was thirteen too. And it just was like, oh my goodness, why didn't you just talk to us? All that stuff, you just, I know where to go to get it for free. <laughs> you know, that was, that was basically the answer. And it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh Lord, Aceous. Um, so funny. Yeah, no, it is definitely a minefield. I've got daughters and, you know, many days oh, I, I thank my stars that I have daughters, but it's, True. it's like yeah. you cannot police your kids 24 seven, but catfishing, that's, that's, that's pretty rough. Yeah. I know people who've got scammed on the catfish side of, you know, wiring people money and that kind of thing. And oh yeah, that's, that was the concern is like, you know, it starts off like this and then how does it escalate? You know, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's, it's, it's not ethical behavior. So, um, anything to pitch, recommend, or you just is story time with uh, Chris? Yeah, that that was uh, you know an ode to uh, 
Uh, well, I, I, the thing I'll pitch is, uh, you know, thank, shout out to the uh, listeners, I guess. Uh, Eli's been posting the numbers, and I guess we've been doing some numbers. A top 10, a top 10% podcast. So thank you, listeners. Well, yeah. And yeah, we've definitely seen a bump uh, above our normal summer rates. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would say we're like up 30% or so from what we normally do in a summer. So uh, actually like 50%. So thanks everybody who's been tuning in and listening and, and sharing the podcast. And thanks to Minute Media and, uh, the Fan Sided Podcast Network, uh, for, for plugging us. It's been super cool. Uh, Eli, what do you got to pitch? Any, any crazy story time with Eli? Yeah. It's actually. Related to catfishing and social media. Okay. Um, I, and just my mind is still just blown. I don't know if you guys have heard of this Bishop Sycamore High School story. Oh my God, it's the greatest. Yeah, it's so great. I have to tell you something. Have I heard, like, I know people who've got kids who have played against Bishop Sycamore. Are you serious? Oh my God. Because they played Maslin last year, I think. Are you kidding me? Oh my God, that's wild. But um, I guess my little funny story is that um, I, I post a lot on like Instagram, like my stories. It's been my birthday week, so I've been posting like thank you to people. Yeah, happy and birthday, a, Eli. I yeah, forgot to say that today. It's appreciated. Um, but I posted this story where I like edited Sycamore High School, and I found a place that started with Bishop or another high school was Bishop Watterson High School, which is in Columbus. And I basically like screenshotted Bishop to make it look like Bishop Sycamore High School. And my running joke was I posted a video of me like working out and saying like, oh, I just got off the phone with this coach. He said if I uh, if I work out really hard and lose a couple of pounds, I can play against IMG Academy next year. (laughs) And I posted it. And, um, <laughs> my, uh, my Instagram, like I'm, I'm private, but I let that post be public. So I just want to see if people would like pick it up or whatever. And like the, some people were like, Hey, uh, I don't know if you've seen the news lately, but that's <laughs> not, it's, and I'm just like, uh, it's, it's completely sat- like satirical. Like I had no idea. And then, Oh my gosh. So this is like kind of the tech divide, right? Like. I posted it, and then this guy who is my friend's father that follows me on Instagram sends me this paragraph, and he says, you're either a mean person or like a dumbass, and I don't think you're a dumbass. And he went on this rant to me about how I am like, I am part of the problem of like um, feeding the social media trolls, and like people are... People are taking advantage of these young kids. And I'm just like, dude, it's a joke. Like, chill out. Like, I'm not like, it didn't actually happen or anything. And, you know, it just shows like, I thought it was really funny. Some people thought, obviously, thought it was hilarious. But I, it's just, uh, it's a wild story, to say the least. And the fact that, um, the fact that they got on ESPN. Oh, it's so great. It's just and Ridiculous. like I haven't read the details, but it's basically like a fake school, right? 
with yep. a bunch oh, of like 19 oh, yeah. and 20 year old players and a coach that's a flim flam man and you know is wanted for different crimes and stiffing uh, people around the country they they stiffed uh uh people in their bill in stark county i think last week <laughs> i just wow. read yeah they yeah, were yeah, at the hotel hot checks yeah yeah, the like, the story gets pretty dark, actually, from what I, the little I've read about it in terms of like, you know, it, basically it was the exploitation factor, like exploiting people who were either clueless or desperate, you know, to enroll into the, this, you know, sham program. So, yeah, I mean, that is the dark side. I definitely feel like there's, you know, it's a lot. It's a double feature movie coming up with uh, the Tiger King biopic. That, that was the joke is that apparently uh, some of the recruits were told that they'd be featured on Netflix. And now oh, there's man. actually the potential that they will be. <laughs> but not in on. a good way. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's brutal. Yep. Yeah. So I, I don't have much to recommend this week. I do have something that I can anti-recommend, and that is... Um, the new Lord album is lousy. <laughs> mm. I listen to that uh, I, today. I actually I like, agree with you. Not any good. I mean, the only entertaining thing about the album is the uh, the the picture of her bare bottom on the cover, or <laughs> someone's bare bottom. I'm assuming it's hers. <laughs> yeah, I actually agree with you, Nate. I, I didn't enjoy it very much. It's not my cup of tea. I mean, if you enjoy, like, I guess, like quiet folksy acoustic stuff you know but i don't know what i was expecting but it was, i just i don't know it seemed like very uh uh seemed like people thought it was like very nostalgic i guess like it was like some 60s or 70s type uh thing yeah i just didn't get it i just didn't think the songs were very interesting or entertaining or catchy and you know as as to give an antithesis to that i've been listening to a guy uh, of late named Billy Bragg, who was a, a British electric folk singer in the 80s. He got a start in the early 80s and made some great albums with Wilco in the 90s and early 2000s called the Mermaid Avenue albums, where they basically resurrected a whole bunch of old Woody Guthrie songs and uh, that didn't have arrangements to them and put them to music. And I think they put out a whole three albums with it and they were great songs. Love, love those albums, but he's got a new single out about, um, life online, uh, the downfalls of life online. And the name of the single is called 10 mysterious photos that can't be explained. Um, and it's just a really good, really catchy song, really well written musically. And, um, and lyrically, and so yeah, check out uh, Billy Bragg singing Ten Mysterious Photos That Can't Be Explained," and it, it's an earworm for sure. I I really enjoyed it. So that's that's my list, and uh, that's all I got for this week. And uh, what do we got? Three weeks and counting till training camp. So un right. unless we go join Bishop Sycamore basketball, and then you know we we might be playing next <laughs> week. So. As always, go Kev. What's what's the Bishop Sycamore mascot? Do we know? No, I have no clue. <laughs> I gotta look this up. <laughs> I gotta look this up before we log off. Oh my goodness! The Bishop Sycamore mascot. Ah, uh, no, I can't find it. Uh, is it the Vikings? Oh, I don't goodness. know. 
Yeah, I don't. They don't have one. Was it? Do they? <laughs> I don't know. Oh I don't know, goodness. but we got to find that. That's the, in the comments section. Give us the Bishop Sycamore exactly. uh, mascot. And as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. What did you say, Eli? Dude, I just found this. The Centurions. The Centurions. Nice. Bishop Sycamore Centurions. As always, go Centurions. Go Centurions. Go Centurions. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs Podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite bloggers.